Hey, so we're continuing through this unknown series, and the idea behind this is to kind of look at this with the unscratched out, because the whole reality of your life is that you are known, and it's very easy to live in a culture that celebrates the individual um, to make yourselves feel important, but not anything else around you. And so when we talk about family, we talk about the importance of being a family and having a family I know that in your circle of life, if you will, some of you come from broken homes. Some of you guys don't have a mom and dad together. Maybe you guys live with a, um, a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle. Whatever the case is, know that you have a home here. I want you to, to, to know that and to understand that, that this isn't just a language we use to try to make you feel better about yourself, but this is a language we use because it's the language that God uses. And throughout scripture, as we're going to see in a few moments, we see that there is something unique about being at church. Because if you think about it at times, it's like, why do, we, why do I go to church? Have any, any of you ever thought that recently? Like, why do I go to church? And... Be honest with yourselves this morning, because I think it, it can be very easy to think like, yeah, I come to church because I want to play games, or because it's fun, or because there's this really cute girl, right, guys? Even sixth graders, you're like, cooties, I, I kind of like them now, you know? Didn't used to like them, but I kind of like them now. Girls still think boys are gross because boys are gross. That's just the reality of how God created us for some reason. But the... The point to everything going on this morning is to give you kind of an understanding of why church is important. Um, how many of you guys grew up coming to church? Not, not even just Harvest, but just church in general. You guys grew up in the church. Okay, look around the room. Keep, keep your hands up. We are talking to a lot of churched people. Okay, you've been coming to church for a while. How many of you guys did not grow up in the church, but you recently started coming to church? Okay, just a few hands are up. Actually, only one hand is up. And that is kind of my point to this today because a lot of us have grown up in the church. We went to Sunday school. We had our diapers changed in the nursery. We were in that red little buggy being pushed around by strangers, and it was weird. And all the little kids are sobbing their eyes out, and their noses are all runny, and just, <laughs> you know, like they're just freaking out. And we all grew up in those things. Um, we grew up in the children's ministry and all the puppets and the rock this world and all the dance moves and, you know, Jesus. Because we learned sign language early on because that's just who, how, how it was. It was like, oh, we know this is Jesus because of the whole Neil Pierce thing, you know what I mean? Like, and something about something here, there, whatever. Like, there's a lot of these hand motions in church, and it's kind of weird. Uh, when, when you think back, it's like, is that what really church is all about? And then you come to junior high. For me, junior high was 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, and I remember that being that 6th grader, like, woo, you know, just like super excited and just like amped and having no idea what church was all about, but there were some cute girls and there was candy, and it's like, that's what I'm talking about, you know, like it was just super exciting, it was fun, you didn't have your parents check you in. Come on, thank you, I got one clap, okay, like your parents don't have to check you in, you don't have to get checked out, okay, that's what I'm talking about. Like, church is an awesome thing. My mic is falling off, sorry. That, that's like an awesome thing to think about. Like, I, I am mature. I am responsible, and my mom doesn't have to come pick me up. That's amazing. For me, it was amazing because I was always the last one picked up. 
Is, is that anyone else here? You were always the last one picked up because your parents are socializing with their other friends. It's like, hello, I'm your son. Don't talk to your friends. Talk to your son. And I would cry all the time because my parents were so late that it would go into the next service. And it's like, great, I'm going to have to sit in another service because my parents are too busy talking. They'd send me to the office, and it's like, I don't want to go. Like, it was a terrifying moment. Church at a time was very difficult because my parents wouldn't pick me up, and I thought I was just going to live at church forever. Now looking back, I do live at church forever. I work here. This is my job. I've got an office. Like, it's weird. But it's like, do we ever question the why? Why do I go to church? Like, for me, I, I was in the same boat as you. I grew up at church. This was like what, what you would call a second home, right? And it was kind of like, I'm just always here. There's a playground. There were basketball courts actually right here where we are standing. There used to be outdoor basketball courts. And you're like, I didn't even know something like that existed. It's because you weren't born yet. That's how long ago this thing was. And um, church was always just this big thing that we were just a part of, right? Church had Christmas and Easter and all these other kinds of things that church did. And it was just a part of my life. But then I remember at a very... Um, at a very pivotal time in my life. I was 13, in fact. You guys know my story. Um, some of you sixth graders might, but you'll get to know it. And when my world came crumbling down was with a medical diagnosis, and then I started to question everything. I started to question, well, why do I go to church? This church tried to tell me, you know, Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it, it told me those things, and, th and that was okay, and that was kind of cool at the moment. But then, like, when, when, when things hit the ceiling, it was like, well, hold up, like, what is going on here? Like, I grew up in church learning all these things, but now it's like, this doesn't seem to make sense. Maybe you're kind of in that place, too. Maybe mom and dad have been fighting a lot, and they're just like, wondering, are, are, are my parents going to get divorced? Or maybe school is so difficult and your parents are thinking of, of switching you from one school to another. Or maybe your parents are like, we're moving out of California because California is gross. And they wouldn't be wrong about that to an extent. And so the realities of life can hit you like one after another, just brick after brick after brick after brick. Why is church important? What is church is church games and small groups and fun and dodgeballs and candy and pizza and overnighters and camps and all these other things what is church and why is it so important so if you've ever asked yourself why do i go to church i think that we can't really understand the importance of ch of church until you ask yourself why we do church and at the same time i think that we can discover what church is. Why is church important? We'll get to that in a little bit. Do I need to go to church? Interesting. I think a lot of people like God, but they don't like the Christians associated, right? Like everyone talks about how there's hypocrisy and all these other things. And it's like, yeah, okay, there are hypocrites, but hey, welcome aboard. You'll just fit right in because we're all hypocrites. We all fall short of God's glory. But look at what Ephesians 2 says. Do I have someone up there running the computer? Is anyone up there running the computer? Oh, there's a, who, whose hand is that? I, I just, when I looked, it was a hand. Oh, it's Jarrell. Hi, Jarrell. I, my phone, I, I can't log in, so it's not working. Look at the screen, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. It says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. My Bible says aliens. I like that. The existence of aliens. Yeah, they exist, okay? It's you. Uh, they're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens. Everyone say Citizens. If you're fancy, you take out the I's and the E and you say citizens. That's an inside joke, just in case you're wondering. Citizens along with all of God's holy people, you are members of what? 
God's family. Interesting. Keep going. Together we are his. Interesting. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him. We're, we're not joined together in dodgeball. We're not joined together in pizza parties. We're not joined together in overnighters. I hate them, by the way. Um, but they're, they're amazing. Don't get me wrong. We know you love them, and that's why we keep doing them, despite how I feel about them. Because you guys, we love you, okay? Um, we're not joined together in overnighters. We're not joined together in dodgeball. We're not joined together in pizza parties. We are becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And so we see here the importance of the house. But the only reason that a house exists is because you are a part of it. Church is not about a building. It is about the people inside of the building. Maybe you've heard that before. That's kind of the whole essence of what a church is. In a short answer, church is not a building. It is a body of people. If you are a body, if you have a body, you are a part of the church. And you're like, I am a part of the church. Like There is a sense of belonging. That's the whole point to be known is that in God's great redemptive story as the church, you are a part of that. But the church goes way back. This church here, Harvest Christian Fellowship, is a local church. There are other churches that we are surrounded by. We've got Sandals in the Grove and um, Mag and Grace Community. There are churches everywhere. It's like, you, you know there's a Starbucks on every corner? And there's a church on every corner. Like, there's just churches all over the place. And so there isn't one more significant church than another. The church itself, when I mention the church, I'm not talking just specifically about harvest. When I say the church, I am talking about Christians around the world as a part of the church. Because you are not the only Christians. Riverside is, does not have this, like, little bunch of Christian people and everyone outside of it is not. In fact, we were just in Dallas last week, and we saw over 2,000 people make professions of faith in Jesus, and people around the world making professions of faith at the same time, some 10,000 people who said, yes, I want to make a commitment to follow Jesus. That is an incredible thing. But the church goes way back, not 40 years, not 100 years, not 500 years. In fact, it goes back thousands and thousands of years ago. If you have a Bible open to Acts chapter 2, I want to share with you a portion of scripture that helps us see where the church started. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 is where we're going to start, but let me give you some context. So Jesus came to the disciples, the apostles, he came to all these people. In fact, there were about 500 people after Jesus rose again from the dead that saw Jesus in person. They saw his nail-pierced hands. They saw everything after the fact. And so there was this big eyewitness account of Jesus himself being there in the front of people. Like, it was an amazing thing. Could you imagine seeing someone raised from the dead and like, oh my gosh, that's scary. What's he doing here? That's kind of like what people were, were seeing with Jesus. And so Jesus, at this point in Acts chapter 1, the, the previous chapter, Jesus actually ascends to heaven. Like, he starts floating, and like, he's looking down on the people, and they're like, where is he going? You know, like, well, if you read your Bible, you would know. That's kind of what he was telling people. And so he said, hey, I ascend to the Father in heaven, but when I ascend, the Holy Spirit, everyone say Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit will descend upon you. And that's what we have here in Acts chapter 2. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, you remember Peter was the one that denied Jesus the three times. And Peter was like, I'll never deny you Jesus. And Jesus is like, actually, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And, and Peter's like, I'll never do that. He did it anyway. But this guy, Peter, he's given second chances. He talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He talks about God being raised up four different times. He says, Jesus was raised from the dead. Anytime someone repeats something over and over, do you think it's important or unimportant? Okay, just checking, making sure that we're all on the same page. So four different times, Peter says, he was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. God raised him up. Like, that's a really powerful, important thing. It was actually, in fact, in verse 24 that Peter says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. It's like, ooh, you know, that's kind of like creepy, awesome, scary-looking kind of thing. And so Peter preaches this sermon, and there are literally thousands of people that are coming to Jesus. In fact, the verse before 42, if you look at it, it says, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So people are coming to Jesus. People are coming to know Christ, and people are being filled with the Spirit of God. And then it says here in verse 42, let's read it together to come up on the screen. All of the believers devoted, everyone say devoted. If you have your Bible or if you have a Bible, I don't care if you borrowed it, underline that word in there. So if you're using a borrowed Bible, the next person can see that. But if you have your own Bible, underline it so that you keep seeing it. You keep seeing it. And you keep seeing it. And the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Underline that word as well, fellowship, in your Bible. And to sharing in meals. Underline that as well. To the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper. And to prayer. Underline that as well. Look at all the different things. Actually, sorry, Drew, I'll go back real quick. Look at the different things that they're, that they're devoted to. They're devoted to teaching. They're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to food. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay, and they're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to these things. This word devoted means that they're actually committed 100%. As devoted as you are to actually getting your first victory royale. Okay? I've never experienced such a wonderful blessing because I don't play Fortnite, and nor will I ever. Can I get an amen? Thank you. So they devoted themselves to, what happened? What? I'm sorry, what? What happened? No? Yeah, it, that's true. I do suck at Fortnite. So uh, they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to meals, to food, woo, and to prayer. Those are all important elements of what a church does and what a church is a part of. Let's go to the next verse, 43. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, say all. Anytime you see that word all in scripture, it literally means all, okay? So anyone who was in the church at that time, all. Everyone say all. All the believers met together in one place. And shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Temple is just another fancy Bible word for church. Okay? They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. 
All the while, they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. How many of you in here don't even know the person sitting next to you? You're like, oh, guilty. (laughs) How many of us don't know every single name in this room right now? Okay. (laughs) Chances are I don't know your name. And you're like, Pastor Brad, you're a pastor. You should know every name. Well, you know what? I try, okay? So if I don't remember your name, don't punch me in the face. Unless I give you permission, okay? And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Right here in Acts 2, 42 through 47, what you just saw on the screen or in your Bible is a definition of what the church does. This is what a church does. This is how they function. It says that they were believing together. They were selling their possessions and their belongings. They were distributing the proceeds to every single person that was in need. And day by day, attending church together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. If you don't receive food with gladness, like, there's something wrong with you. You know what I mean? Like, if there's food in front of you, it's like, food. Um, I wish Caleb Tinker was here because he's not, but our, our, our good friend Caleb, if you know Caleb, he's 6'4", he's 14 years old, there's his brother, Where, where's Caleb? What a loser. Hey, Matthi- Matthias, tell your brother that he needs to come here, okay? Cody, like, just make, come on, like, make sure he knows that, like, he's missing out, okay? The one day that I talk about him, the one day, he's down in the sanctuary, come on, okay, so anyway, Caleb Tinker, he's 6'4", he's 14 years old, okay? He's, he's ginormous. He's, he's tall. Like, he, he'd be as tall as me right now if he were standing there. Like, he's huge. And we went to Dallas this last weekend, or this last week, and he was a part of our trip. And at 8 in the morning, he's like, I want in and out I'm like, what? Okay, just, just stop, dude. Like, can we go get a shake? No! It's 8 in the morning. Like, have some pancakes or something. Like, get some coffee. No, I want a burger. Like, what? How about some pizza? Like, he was hungry every single hour. I, I, I swear to you, I think he's pregnant. Like, something was happening. Like, he's just eating food constantly. Just like, oh, my gosh, what's going on right now? Why are you so hungry? We land on Monday in L.A. at 8.30 in the morning. He, he's looking on his phone. Pastor Brad, there's a blaze down the street. It's 8.30 in the morning, bro. Blaze is not open. It's breakfast, okay? Like, having food with gladness is one thing. Having food with gladness in the form of a Caleb Tinker, that's another thing, okay? Like, there is a gladness that must come upon you. But I think what happens when we have food together is that it's not so much about the food as it is the people you're surrounded by. And I think that that's important because it's very easy to eat a meal alone, right? Especially in front of a TV. That's what I'm learning with my little girls. They're like, I want to eat in front of the TV. Uh-uh, I don't think so. I want to eat in front of the TV. I'm going to throw that TV away. Because we as a family eat meals together. We as a church eat meals together. We as a family, as a church, we grow together. We worship together. And so the big question is, what is a church? What is a church here from Acts 2, 42 and 47, we ask ourselves the question, what is a church? Number one, church is a place of worship. Church is a place of worship. First, I think we can easily agree that church is a place of worship, but sometimes the object of worship isn't always the same. 
the object of worship isn't always the same. We can easily look at the performance that a church puts on or the fun that a church has to offer. Or maybe, like me, at your age, church was about finding a girlfriend. And every two weeks I had a new girlfriend in youth ministry. And to me it was an awesome feeling because I was like, I got a new girlfriend every two weeks. Like, I mean, why are they saying yes? That's awesome. But, like, it made me feel good about myself. And then I became the player, and, and the, you know, the rest is history. Um, all the while, I was a pastor's kid, too, so it was like, oh, he's a sinner. And so whatever it is, I think that we have this idea that church is about us and making us feel good about ourselves and hoping that we find the satisfaction from church. And if we don't feel like we find those things at church, it can easily cause us to leave church. Well, this church isn't as fun as the other one. Well, this church music isn't as cool as the other one. Well, the lights and everything else, they're not as cool as the other church. Well, there's not as many cute girls there. Well, the guys there, they're just not as gross there. You know, like, there's all, there, there's all these different things that run through our mind about what church might be. And I think that's an issue that we have to talk about because church isn't about the lights. Church isn't about the dodgeball games. Church isn't about the overnighters. Church isn't about anything else other than the fact that God is there and we are worshiping Him. Because so often what happens, church becomes a place where we worship other things. And we all collectively come together with all our little gods and our little idols. And we start sharing with one another all these different things that we worship. All the while we lose out on focusing on who deserves the worship the most. And I think that happens because throughout the week... We worship other things other than God. But when we come to church, we know that God is worshipped here. And so we worship God because we feel like we have to. But the whole point of worshipping God here is that it would turn your attention, that you would tune yourself to worshipping God seven days a week. So my question for you is, if this is a place of worship, outside of this place, do you worship God or do you worship something else? And we've talked about worship, we've talked about idolatry and things like that. Whatever takes the most time and attention, whatever you give the most time and attention. Because obviously homework can take our attention away. And I'm not saying that homework or school like that is, is an idol. Maybe it is for some of you that are smart. But unlike me, school was not an idol to me. It was not a place of worship. But I think what happens is we find other things that we want to give our attention to. And whatever that is, that is the thing that we actually end up worshiping. So I think it's rad about worship that it's not about you or me or anything else, but it's about Jesus. Worship is about coming to the end of yourself. And what I mean by that is that worship should cause us to see the greatness of God every single day. When you can see worship as more than just music played or songs sang, you come to realize that worship is this inward feeling that results in an outward action. It's an inward feeling, I think, of conviction. It's an inward feeling of loving something that you don't normally love. And so I think that we need to understand that that feeling inside can also and should also be the result of an outward action taking place. Because the thing that you worship, the thing that you love the most, you're going to think about the most. You're going to learn about the most. 
and the outward action will show it. Whether it's a dating relationship or upgrading your phone to a new one or when the Amazon package arrives or if you were in eighth grade and you got a promotion and then you got a gift on top of that. I was talking to one of the girls yesterday. She was uh, in sixth grade going into seventh. She's like, I got 200 bucks for my, my, uh, my graduation gift. And I'm like, can I have some? You know, like uh, we were talking about that. And so she was excited about the $200 that she got for promotion, which is awesome. But I think what happens is we can easily make those things and make our life revolve around those things. Worship, I think, and I think the Bible also describes this, involves a different level of surrender, especially when rebels turn to worship. Because you're, you're a rebel, and you're like, I am, aren't I? You know, some of us, like, appreciate the fact that we would be considered mischievous or troublesome. You know, I was always, as a kid, I was like, oh, he's the trouble one. I was homeschooled, and I was apparently the worldly homeschool kid because I did things differently than homeschool parents would allow their homeschool kids to do, like not wear a seatbelt and stuff like that. I got in trouble really big, big with that, but I won't get into that because that's a whole different thing. But being a rebel, there's kind of like that, yeah, like I'm a rebel, you know, like let's light things on fire, you know, like where's the neighborhood cat, you know, like we're going to light it on fire. I didn't do that. I didn't, no, I didn't do that. Okay, maybe I did, but I, it, it, I put it out right away. I felt bad about what I was doing. I was like, rawr, rawr, just like jumping around. Oh, no, put the fire out. Um, when rebels can turn to worship, I think that there's something that happens that's so unique about the gospel message itself. Because, you see, worship is not a part of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. Worship is not just a part of what you do. Worship is what you do. And so we have to admit to ourselves this morning that we all worship something, whether it's God or whether it's some man-made object or whether it's something in our mind that we just made up ourselves. We all worship something. The believers in the fellowship of this church in Acts chapter 2, they were, devoted them, they were devoting themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to prayers, to food. Those were the things that they were worshiping um, in a good way. Because they realized that God was the author of everything that they were given and everything that they were giving. Number two, church is a family. Church is a family. And I talked about earlier that we were going to talk about church as a family. And that's really true in and of itself today. How many of you guys come from a, a divorced home? Raise your hand for me. Okay. There's a lot of divorce. How many of you guys live with one of the single parents? How many of you guys live with a different person other than mom or dad? You live with a grandparent or an aunt or uncle or something? Okay. All right. Do you, do you see the, the reality of family is that not everyone's family is perfect. My family is not perfect. I have my mom and my dad still, and I'm thankful for that. They've been married some 35 years or so, and that's super rad. But not all of you can say that about yourselves. And that's not bad. That's, there, there, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that because God can redeem the family because throughout Scripture we see that God uses this language in church to describe a family. Church is bigger than you, but, everyone say but. <laughs> You're like, but. <laughs> but it cannot function without you. Church is bigger than you, but it cannot function without you. But here's another thing. Church is not about me, it's about we. You're like, oh, hey, that's pretty good. Church is not about me, it's about we. Because it's not about me. Turn to your neighbor and say, church is not about you. 
But see, then at the same time, you're, you're talking to your neighbor, and it's like, hey, it's not about you. But then at the same time, like, as a neighbor, you can say, hey, it is about you, because that's kind of the reality of being a family and a church. Those who stay connected to the church end up growing, but I think that those who leave the church end up slowing down. And so what happens is maybe you feel connected to this ministry, but maybe you don't feel connected to the church. I'm not sure where you're at with that because a lot of times we look at the church down there as different than up here. Like, no, that's big church, right? Like growing up, I always called that big church. No, that's where the parents go. That's big church. We don't touch big church. That's for like, you know, the sex talk and everything else, you know? Like that's big church. That's for parents to talk about stuff and then we come home and we talk about it there. No, I, I think that there's something to be said about the realities of this entire campus being one church. This should not be different than what is happening down there. But I think so often it can be the case. And I think what happens is because we live in a culture that praises the individual, we're told that we're to celebrate ourselves and to find ourselves. Even with being at church with so many others, we focus on how is God speaking to me, right? It's so easy to sit in that chair where you're at right now and to listen to a sermon and say, how is God speaking to me? I'm not disagreeing that that's not... That's an okay thing to think about, but why are you wanting that? Are you trying to justify that maybe God hasn't been speaking to you, and so you're looking for something special for him to say to you in order to save your faith or something like that? Because I think what happens so often, and you can see it even down in big church, quote unquote, is that we all come and go. We kind of just sit there. We do our thing. We look around like, I don't know her. I don't know him. This is awkward. I'll go play a video game, I guess, and I'll buy some candy because it's there, or whatever else. Like, the realities of church is that it's not just about sitting down and learning a message and then walking away unchanged. The reality of church is that you sit here together and you worship together, you pray together, you learn together, and you grow together. When was the last time you prayed for the person sitting next to you? When was the last time you prayed for that person? You're like, I don't even know that person. That's my point. When was the last time you prayed for the person sitting next to you? When was the last time you went and encouraged someone sitting next to you? You're like, I don't even know their name. That's my point. Again, get to know their names. Ask how you can pray for them. And you're like, but that's awkward. Well, families are awkward. Like, that's how it is sometimes. You got the weird Uncle Stu and the weird aunt, whatever her name is. Like, they're weird people. Maybe you're the weird person. It could be true, you know? Like, I don't know. Families are awkward, but at the end of the day, they're families. You all have, or some of you have siblings, and you're like, please, God, will you just take them away from me. Why'd you give me this family, right? And... I think sometimes we, we can kind of joke a little bit too much, like, I don't want this sibling. I don't want that brother or sister. But at the end of the day, you know deep down inside you love them. You want to admit it publicly, like, ew, gross, oh, I hate my family, whatever. But I think the reality when it comes down to it is like, actually, I do love my family. Growing up, I had brothers younger than me, uh, an older sister that was like, Rawr! you know, like she was just kind of crazy a little bit. Love my sister to death, love my brother's. It's an amazing thing, but I think we just get caught up in that moment. Rather than church being more about the individual, it is more about the community. And I think that we can easily be the introvert. Anyone, anyone introverted? Meaning like you're shy, you're embarrassed quickly, or you don't want to talk to people. You're not the outgoing like blah, blah, blah. You know, like you're not like the bubbly type. Is anyone the bubbly type? You're just like, rah, rah. yeah, Lena, 
definitely, Jasmine, yeah, for sure. You guys are like definitely the bubbly type. Um, and I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, you know. It, it's just, it's easier for me to be like, I don't mind hanging out by myself. And maybe that's because I have kids now, I'm not sure. But I think the reality is that even if you're an introvert, it's okay. Because in all honesty, I think that's how God created you and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we can't use that as an excuse as to why we're not growing in our faith at church. You see, church is not something you go to. It is a family you belong to. You'll see it come up on the screen. You can write it down if you're taking notes. Church is not something you go to. It is a family you belong to. It's also a home where you're loved, and it's also a hospital where you can find healing. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 say, But to all who believed him and accepted him, talking about Jesus, he gave the right to become, what does it say? I'm sorry, what does it say? Children. Children. Family. You become a part of the family of God. You become a part of the, of the entire family as it is. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See how very much our Father... Dad, father, daddy, dada, whatever, you know, age you're in. Maybe you girls, why is it that girls still call their dads daddy? They're like, oh, it's my daddy. You know, it's like, that's kind of like, isn't that childish? But then I think that there's also something unique because I never want my daughters to stop calling me that because of the reality of the relationship that exists between father and daughter. It's a unique thing. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Number three, lastly, church is a place to grow. Church is a place to grow. I um, heard this little thing by C.S. Lewis. Maybe you guys have heard of him, Chronicles of Narnia. You've read his books, amazing books, by the way. If you're a book reader, do it. If you don't like books, read them anyway. They're awesome. Um, and he talks about this idea of, you know, a lot of times we talk about growing as like an individualistic thing, like how am I growing? And we're so focused on our growth and no one else's or anything else. And he says, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. You know, sometimes our desires for worldly things can be too strong and our desires for godly things can be too weak. I think what C.S. Lewis is saying here, he's saying, no, God is not saying that your desire is too weak. He's saying it's too strong, in fact. Or he's, he's not saying that um, your desires are not too strong, but they're too weak because you're weak enough to believe that anything in this world is strong enough to fulfill you. What he's saying is that only God should be the one that fulfills you. And he says, we're like a bunch of ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in the slum because we can't imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I heard a story this last week about a dad who surprised his whole family by going to Walt, Walt Disney World in, in Florida. And the way he did it was by telling them they were going to go to a bounce house, okay? How many of you guys love bounce houses? Like, let's be honest. And the older we get, the more we want to, like, destroy them, right? Like, we just want the whole thing to tip over, right? My girls are at an age where they just love the bouncing part, and I'm like, if I get in there, I'm just going to want to just destroy the whole thing. And that's why I don't go in there, like self-control at its finest, okay? And so the dad's like, we're going to go to a bounce house. And all the kids are like, okay, whatever. But his youngest, he was like, I'm so excited, you know, like just totally stoked out of his mind. But then as they're driving away, 
the, the kids start to see, like, there's Disney signs all over the place. And they're like, wait, are we going to Disney World? And he's like, you know, kind of like smirking or whatever. And he's like, we're going to Disney World. And his two older girls are like so excited. They're like crying. They're out of their minds because they were so excited about going and being surprised by it. But his little kid is in the back crying. Just like, I don't want to go there. I want to go to a bounce house. And the dad's like, wait, hold up, hold up. No, no, like we're going to Walt Disney World. Like Peter Pan, Mickey Mouse. Like it's an amazing thing. And the little kid's like, I want to go to a bounce house. Do you, do you see like the point I'm making is that so often we want the bounce house when God wants to give us Disney World. And it's like, oh my gosh, like God, I just want these little things. I just want to make mud pies. And, and God's like, no, how about I, I give you like a mud factory? You're like, no, I don't want to. I just want my own mud right here in this little pit right here. And I just want to make mud pies. And you're like, how about a bounce house? And God's like, how about Disney World? And you're like, no, bounce house. And God's like, Disney World. And you're like, Pound's house. You know, like, I, I think we're, we're, we're missing the point when God is saying that the things that he has to offer to us are so much better than what our own minds can think or comprehend. And all of that is found in the church. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Again, C.S. Lewis goes on to say, it'll come up here on the screen. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. I think the point to that is that it says, how can we think of ways to motivate one another? I think so often we try to focus on how can I motivate myself? Do you come to church hoping that you're motivated by something? Because if you're not, then maybe you're going to leave the church or you're going to go find some other cool, fun, loud, hip church or something like that. Or is it because you want to motivate someone else today? So my challenge to you as we wrap up is not how can you stay motivated, but how can you continue to motivate each other? Again, be challenged at the fact that you may not know the person's name sitting next to you, but, but by the end of the, of the day, you should. And by the end of the day, you should be asking them how you can pray for them. The Bible says, outdo one another in love and good works. You see, when you motivate or when you stir up one another, as some other Bible translations say, when you stir things, when you mix ingredients, you're allowing each ingredient to complement one another. If you were making a cake and you just put the sugar and the butter and the eggs on top and you said, here's your cake, like that's gross. That's disgusting. Like it's not going to complement each other. The, the mixing has not taken place yet. And so as things mix, as you go through the proper channels of understanding why you're at church, it's going to complement itself. You can't just layer it in like, how can I motivate myself? Because then that means you're not mixing the ingredients. It means that you're not stirring one another. It means that you're not motivating one another. And so our work as followers of Jesus is to take what he made and to shape it and use it to make him look great. And all of this happens in a church setting. And let me leave you with this. Do you need church? Yes. Why? For your good, for the good of others, 
and for the world. For your good, for the good of others, and for the world. You see, the church is to come together from different races, from different backgrounds, from different walks of life in every single way, yet we are similar because we have one need in common, Jesus. So if you ever thought church wasn't important, I hope that you realize how important church is today. If you knew that church was important but you didn't know how important, I hope that you realize that today. Church is an important place to be a part of. And I'm not saying that Harvest is, is perfect and it has all the answers. But what I am saying is that this church here loves Jesus. And this church here loves you as well. And so the realities of everything that we're a part of, the realities of everything that we're doing together is so that we would do it together. Let's pray. God, I thank you that in this moment we have grace, we have mercy. Lord, I thank you for the church. I thank you for Harvest. I thank you for all that we are able to accomplish as a church. And so I pray now that you would um, do a great work in the lives of those that continue to call this their home. And that's exactly what this is. This is a church that is a place to grow. It is a family. It is a place of worship. And we, we recognize our need for you. We recognize our desire to um, want to serve you more, want to love you more. But may it also be so that we motivate one another to stir up the good works that are in us, that we would complement one another as we continue to seek out and desire that one thing in common together, which is the gospel, which is here in this church. And so if you're here and you have not yet ever received the message of the gospel, if you've never seen church as a family, if you've never been a part of this family here, or you've never been a part of the family of God, I think it's important knowing that here at this church, you have a place in this church, but you also have a place in God's family. Whether you come from a, a complete family, mom and dad are at home and they love one another, or whether you come from a broken home, the reality is that God loves you and God wants you in his family. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never admitted to wanting to be a part of the family of God, I would simply ask you by a, a show of confession to just simply raise your hand and I wanna pray with you if that's your desire to be a part of the family of God today. Just simply raise your hand and I wanna pray with you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no, no looking around, no talking or anything like that. If you desire to be a part of the family of God, I want you to just simply raise your hand real quick as we close here. I know a lot of you are in the family of God, God bless you. But I know some of you might not be. Anyone else? God bless you. All right. Now if you, God bless you as well. Now if you desire that, if you desire to be a part of the family of God, I want you to simply pray a prayer of confession to the Lord and to admit your need for saving from your sins, to know that Jesus died on a cross, but to know that Jesus also rose again from the dead. You pray a prayer and it can sound something simple like this, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know that I've done wrong, but I know that you made it right. I wanna serve you, I wanna live for you, I wanna be in your family, I wanna be a part of this church. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live for you and to grow in you. Lord, I know that you hear those prayers and I know that you are here with us and I pray as we wrap up our service here today, as we receive now our morning tithe and offering, 
that you would bless it, that you would use it in this youth ministry for the furtherance of your kingdom, and that we would see great things take place from here on out. I thank you for those here that have admitted to wanting to be in the family of God, and I pray that you would help them grow, and that people around them would um, just see their need, and that they would pray for them, that they would love on them, and that this would be a tight-knit family. So we commit this time to you, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.